Hey everybody, and welcome to the Poplar Propcast. We are doing a market update. We're doing a market update in kind of a fun way because we have the guys from Rebuilt here, and they have a lot of properties. Um, we'll talk about all the places that are there all over, but they actually have a pretty sizable market grab in Nashville. And we also have Brandon on with us, who's the chief acquisition officer over at Rebuilt. And we also have Scott, who's Pennebacher, who's the chief growth officer over at Rebuilt. And between the two of them, Brandon knows a ton about Nashville and Scott knows a bunch about Kentucky. So we're going to talk about Kentucky a little bit, but we're mostly going to be talking about Nashville. Guys, you can want to say hi and give a quick background. We'll go with Scott first. Sure. Thanks for having us on, Justin. Um, and if, yeah, if anybody so, listened last week, you probably know a lot of this stuff. But if not, Scott will give you a quick rundown of where they all came from. Sure. Thank you. I'm uh, born and raised in Lexington, Kentucky. Um, proud home of the Kentucky Wildcats. And um, actually got into to real estate. I took a fortune builders class in 2012. And uh, I don't know if people are familiar with that. Stan Merrill's class. They used to have, uh, they were the first ones on the house. Uh, on that uh, flipper flop house on HGTV. But um, I was in the mortgage business early on in 2004, right out of college. And so I knew I always wanted to get back into real estate and learn how to build a balance sheet uh, using, you know, other people's money, banks money. And so I've always been, been interested in real estate, started flip, fixing and flipping homes and buying rentals in uh 2010 and then 2015 partner with brandon and al to really build out a more robust real estate portfolio uh, and then we started our wholesaling company in 2018 which has now morphed into doing lending title brokerage services and a whole suite of other services for um for real estate investors gotcha nice brandon you want to talk a little bit about your background and why you keep coming back to nashville because you've left and come back a couple of times right uh, yes, it, it always keeps pulling me back, though. Um, no, I'm, I'm Brandon Devlin. I am a Philadelphian for the first 18 years of my life. Philadelphia, PA, not Philadelphia, Mississippi. Um, went to college in Virginia. Then I lived in Raleigh for three years, and then I ended up moving to Nashville. But what drew me to Nashville was a direct sales company called Southwestern. They're actually the oldest direct sales company in the U.S., and over the summers in college, I spent my, my time knocking on strangers' doors in the Midwest for a straight commission for about 100 hours a week and selling educational supplemental handbooks and software that helped put me through school. Um, built a sales organization when I came back to college in the fall and spring and then ended up as a sales manager with that company for six years and recruited students all over the U.S. at the University of Idaho, Washington State. Um, Texas Tech, work with students at Penn State, all over the ACC and, and, and whatnot. Um, so loved it, had a great experience doing that. <clears throat> um, and then once I got to you know 2013, I, I got kind of bored with what I was doing and decided <laughs> I wanted to do something different. I didn't really know what I wanted to do, so I decided to get my real estate license. Most A lot of people get the real estate license, don't know what they want to do in life. <laughs> that's oh. fair yeah there's there's a lot of so there was a, a thing at a real estate conference it was either nar or narpa but they were talking about out of all the people that have a real estate license 10 percent of them are going to make a sale this year yeah it's some ridiculously low number like that it's like crazy that a whole bunch of people just have a floating license in case they want to do yeah. something with it it's like the general studies major of the <laughs> of adulthood it's like it attracts just a <laughs> a potpourri of, of, of whatever. But anyway, yeah. 
I, I did that and I started to quietly buy up some rental property uh, in East Nashville, which is an area of Nashville that is beginning to boom and gentrify at that time. Um, <clears throat> really enjoyed it. Wasn't flipping homes or anything and was kind of a small player in the space. But I reconnected with Scott um, because he owned a, a used college textbook company and he needed help on the sales management side. Um, he was also flipping homes and buying rental properties. So we connected on a number of different levels, not only real estate, but he's an alum of that crazy direct sales company I worked with as well. So we knew of one another over the years. So I helped him build up his, uh, his sales force with the book buying company, which is called Recycle a Textbook. And then we also continued to build out our respective portfolios um, on the side. As the textbook company began to grow, we ended up selling $50 million worth of textbooks during our time. Jesus. Yeah, it was, it was wild. Um, but, you know, Scott and I are, are kind of a bunch of knuckleheads. We know how <laughs> to, you know, sell a bunch of stuff and run a bunch of stuff and create hype videos and pump people up and get them excited to go out and do whatever. But on some of the more sophisticated operational, strategic, financial tech type things, that's not exactly our forte. And that's where my, uh, my cousin, Al Young, came into the picture, who became a partner at Recycle Textbook with Scott and myself, helped us expand our operations from 2014 beyond, and now is a partner at Rebuilt as well as our CEO. But Al's background is in uh, finance. He worked on Wall Street for 11 years with BlackRock. Yeah, and that's, so, that's a big one. I was like... <laughs> So I, I, Al and I are first cousins. We're the same age and we grew up together in Philadelphia. So he knows that I'm insane. And I called him one night and I, and I said, dude, That's what cousins never, are for. Yeah, they're going to help you be insane. You'll never guess what it's I'm doing. your insanity. <laughs> yeah. They, they, they support and nurture your, your insane <laughs> thoughts. But um, I, I was like, Al, guess what I'm doing right now? And he's like, what? And I said, I'm, I'm buying back textbooks. And he's like, what? Like that, that's stupid. That's insane. This is in 2014. I'm like, I know it's insane, but there's a ton of money in it. And I said, like, forget about the textbooks. It's like arbitrage, right? And right. he said, I mean, it's, it sounds dumb, quite frankly. And I said, it is dumb, but there's a lot of money in it. So why don't you come to Lexington and meet Scott and we'll explain what we're doing. And so Al flew into Lexington and I drove up from Nashville and saw Scott's warehouse and he was blown away because... <laughs> I mean, I could, you could do a podcast on textbooks. It's literally a PhD dissertation type well, topic. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's the same arbitrage that Amazon was doing at the beginning. Like the whole, the whole space there is insane because you have uh, the governmental regulations around textbooks are usually done at the state and right. uh, local level. And then you have California and Texas that are the biggest pullers there. And then you have the textbook companies, which actually sit in an extraordinarily privileged position to say, you have to use this textbook. Yeah. We'll give you discounts. We'll give you benefits. We'll pay the school if you use this textbook. Right. But that's why a textbook costs eighty to three hundred dollars for one semester. I, I mean, I went to community college before I went to San Francisco State. And at community college, the textbooks were more more uh, expensive than the actual courses. Yeah, it was crazy. You're paying eleven dollars a unit, so you get in a class for thirty three bucks, and your textbooks one hundred and forty. Yeah, it was insane. It's insane. And so the arbitrage you're talking about is the sale back price is brutal. You bring your textbook back and they're like, I will give you $5 for this $140 textbook. Right. And then 
if you get in the middle of that, there's a big switch. Yeah. yeah. We, call that, we call that a prescription industry, right? Where, you know, they were prescribing to their students and the schools what book they wanted to adopt. And so Al looked at it from, from that uh, perspective, forget about the, the book or whatever, but look at the actual arbitrage and the, and the system. And so we were able to really scale our operations and, and grow something really exciting up until COVID, which destroyed the textbook company. At that time, though, textbooks were beginning to lose their luster. You had a lot of um, these foreign copies coming in from China and India that were counterfeit and yeah. you got into the copyright laws and, you know, just digital yeah. copies and stuff. So we were ready to kind of move on. Anyway. Well, I think you have a, you have, a, I'm curious to your take on this, because I think you have a couple of things that really kind of push it into less um, of a product provision and more of a rent seeking space and that and I mean rent seeking in the classic no additional provisions and that's stuff like you need a special code with the book to access the stuff online and it's only usable once yeah you have to have the newest version of the textbook and all they did was move stuff around I mean calculus how much has calculus changed yeah in the last hundred years right yeah Uh, yeah exactly yeah and then you also have the advent of just the piracy of the books because it's such bullcrap that you start getting full pdfs of these texts yeah where there are pirates out there doing full scans and going there now yeah. I, I give this to the world yeah exactly and if you get caught in that loop of accidentally selling that counterfeit copy and a lot of these counterfeits are coming off the same printing presses as the legitimate copies yeah um, but if you get caught selling that even if you had no idea that something was wrong you can be held liable for that so it, it, it was not fun any longer. So we were like, let's try to find something else to do. But what, what we learned from that experience that applies to what we're doing now is going and speaking to somebody in person because our reps would visit professors in their offices and yeah. offering to purchase something from them. We weren't selling stuff. We were buying stuff. Yeah. And so we do that in Rebuilt really well. We offer to buy a property. So let's let's pivot a little bit on that and kind of use this as a takeoff into Nashville because I think this is one of the ones that does hook in. Nashville, you mentioned this before, is a publishing city. Is that correct? Yeah. Okay. So when you look at Nashville, in my mind, I think of of um, I think the first place I hear about it in my brain is is like Civil War. It secedes from the Union and then it gets captured almost immediately by the, or excuse yeah. me, it secedes with the Confederacy and it gets captured almost immediately by the Union, right? It's one of the right. first places to fall. And so how does, how does that and how does the legacy and origination of Nashville, which I think was as a railroad hub, mm-hmm. like it just happened to be a confluence, That's turn right. into what it is now? Like what's, what's that story for Nashville to go from, you know, railroad hub, secede, recapture, develop into publishing and music in yeah. natural hot chicken and food. Like well, that's a strange path. Yeah. Well, all the, you know, if you have a city with Ville at the end, like Huntsville or Nashville, Ville is French. So Nashville was founded like back with the French basically and Fort Nash. And I don't know all the particulars of that era, but you know, basically it was settled by white people in you know the early 1700s <clears throat> and then as you said over time it built up into uh, a railroad hub and was kind of on the frontier like davy crockett yeah. all that all that era right and because right. we don't uh, get this is it's it's not part of the 
French purchase or Louisiana purchase, is it? Uh, that, I don't actually know. It, 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 I no, I don't believe it is because I think it. No, it's Ten- not. Yeah, Tennessee, it's Tennessee right on the edge. Tennessee was actually part of North Carolina, I think, for a long time. It just kind of went over and never ended, and then they broke it off uh, at some point, like in the late, like the late 1600s or 1700s or something like that. Uh, and don't quote me on any of that stuff, of course. But it, so the bottom line is like the modern era of Nashville definitely began after the Civil War. It, like you pointed out, it was under Union occupation. Um, and then after the war ended, um, <clears throat> it, like the South, you know, during Reconstruction, it, it was it was depressed and um, under Union. It was under uh, federal occupation, along with other areas that kind of held it back from from recovering. Uh, for a while, but once it began to like blossom, um, publishing and and railroads were a big part of their um, their economy. Also, universities like Nashville is known as the Athens of the South, and yeah. they have the Parthenon, which is a re- recreation of the Parthenon over in Greece. So it's always been known as a an educated part of the state. It's the state capital of Tennessee. Um, and it's it's been known for education, you know, for publishing, for insurance as well, um, and also Maxwell House Coffee comes out of Nashville. oh weird, yeah the, the Cheekwoods, uh, which there's a real beautiful park um, in Nashville called Cheekwood, but that family it's processed it's processed and packaged there, or just the corporate arm is kind of there. I don't know. It's not grown it. there, right? It's grown in in South America and Africa. Right. Yeah, I'm not really sure how the operations work. I just know the family yeah. that own Maxwell House. It's from Nashville. Um, yeah. But the, there's there's a couple of things that helped create you know the modern uh, city of Nashville. As, as we've hit on, publishing is big. Like Gideon's Bibles are published here. Um, and Southwestern, that company I work with, is published company, Thompson Reuters. Um, what are the odds? I have a Southwestern question. What are the odds – that there's a door in Nashville that hasn't been knocked on by somebody from Southwestern. <laughs> well, with all the new builds and stuff, it's probably oh, pretty good. Yeah. But like back in the day, uh, it was it was pretty much like everybody sold books. Like for example, Marsha Blackburn is a U.S. Senator from Tennessee. She actually sold yeah. books when she was at Mississippi State. Um, <laughs> and you know they they've always had a very strong presence in in Tennessee because of just. Being, they're the second oldest company in the city of Nashville. I mean, they've been hmm. around since 1855. But, um, but do you know what the oldest is? I don't. I don't. I, oh. I every time I say it's the second oldest, I'm like, I should find out what the oldest one is. But um, also Ingram, John Ingram, who's a very successful businessman here in Nashville. Ingram Publishing is huge in textbooks. Um, they're based out of Nashville, and. Uh, with music licensing and publishing, that's really where it began to flourish because you, you had the music industry on the publishing side. And then Nashville just so happened to have one of the largest radios and satellites in the in the country. And it broadcast uh, WSM all across like, oh. massive radius that would go all the way to like Texas and Florida and um, it was uh, owned by a life insurance company. I so is this is this is before the FCC comes in and says you got to limit your wattage. Yeah. You, ha- you can only have so much strength. And everybody, so on the radio side, everybody just kind of 
put out these things and just juiced them as much as they could until they started getting in trouble because people would walk by them. Their fillings would start playing the radio station. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it start to like cook. Um, yeah. So they, they started regulating it. But so Nashville was probably one of the last ones that had the, and one of the first ones that had multi-kilowatt yeah. radio antenna. They did. They had a, and it went all, and it broadcast throughout the, the Depression South. And so in order to sell insurance, they had a, a show which became known as the Grand Old Opry. And so just so happened that Nashville had the satellite capabilities to broadcast and to sell insurance. They had music on there, which the radio was becoming a popular uh, <laughs> a popular throughout the Deep South and really across the country with the advent of the radio. So they tune in and listen and then you had, along with that, uh, a bevy of musical talent, like the Carter family came out of Bristol, Virginia, Bristol, Tennessee, and Jimmy, uh, Jimmy Rogers was, these are, these are the. Yeah. I, the, I did the not realize that Grand Ole Opry was a show. Yeah, it was. A radio, I always think of the building. Show. No, it was a radio show that huh. was. Um, and, and so, yeah, it was a radio show that was started up in the 1920s. Um, and you had all these, these backwater, Alabama, uh, Georgia, Tennessee musicians that were taking music that was from the Irish uh, and English um, uh, shanties in these different songs. And it was like mountain music, basically. And then you had like Bill Monroe up in Kentucky where Scott's from, and they had bluegrass. And so all these amazing musicians, uh, you know, they were all just so happened to be in the, in the mid and deep South in an area that had the most powerful satellite that broadcast all across, the, you know, the country in the South primarily uh, combined with publishing. And so, you know, eventually people figured out, well, we can record this stuff because you also had, you know, vinyl records that were, were beginning to become a thing yeah. you could sell them. And so the music publishing and licensing became huge. And that was the, the dawn of country music. And, but also like Sun Records and Memphis and stuff. I mean, that was in the, the 50s. So it just kind of took off from there. That's crazy to have an entire industry kind of be there by a quirk of fate with insurance. It's advertising, right? So exactly. insurance is going, how can I advertise my stuff broadest? Right. And the answer is play weird music and really juice your antenna. Yeah. And then, and then in between the, the songs, you know, you have an advertisement for life insurance or for Brillo pads or, you know, whatever. Um, and then all of these very uh, entrepreneurial uh, musicians and managers decided that there's an awful lot of money in um, representing these artists and getting the rights to publishing. Um, and some of the guys like Roy Acuff uh, here in Nashville was a member of the Grand Ole Opry, but he really became a music publisher like he had the rights to um hank williams music and um and you know they're able to to license that music out and, and sell records and whatnot so so staying on the grand Ole opry for a minute because as a dude from san diego i don't think i fully understand that so you've mentioned it in a couple of ways you said that originally it was a radio program and then you've said he was a member of the grand Ole opry but i've mostly known it as a place that people play am i accurate or is, is it just you play for an assemblage of the members. Sure. How, what, what is the Grand Ole Opry? Well, the Opry used to be in downtown Nashville at the Ryman Auditorium. And the Ryman is an old church. 
Uh, and that's yeah. a whole different story with, uh, of who, the, who Mr. Ryman was and his background. But basically, uh, starting in, I think, the, the, the 40s, all the way up until the mid 70s, um, the Grand Ole Opry was hosted at the Ryman Auditorium. That's where like the Johnny Cash show used to be recorded. Mm-hmm. Um, gotcha. And so they huh. would they would put on all these different shows there for about 30 years. In fact, the Ryman was almost torn down in, in the 80s because it was an eyesore. It really uh, went, we should have, back then we could, Rebook could have bought that thing and really <laughs> tuned it up. But, uh, they, so Wait, in the 80s, how old were you in the 80s? You're like 10, I right? Was, I was, uh, I was probably anywhere from zero to 10 in yeah, okay. 1980, but, uh, <laughs> but the Ryman auditorium, uh, used to host the Opry and then they built Opry land over by the airport in Donaldson. And that's the, the Grand Ole Opry moved there in the late seventies and it's still hosted there today. So gotcha. the Grand Ole Opry has been over in that area for, for about 45 years. Um, but it, that's what you're thinking of. The Ryman is still, uh, Ryman auditorium is still a thing. It's owned by uh, Gaylord Opry, which the Opryland is a is I think they're a publicly traded company, so they own the Ryman mm. and they host shows there, more rock shows primarily. Although they do the they still do the Grand Ole Opry there during the winter time, but most of the stuff is over in Donaldson at this point. Gotcha. Okay, so then when we're talking about Nashville and we're talking about how its economy runs, it's a lot of music, man. It's really cool. I've been to Nashville a couple of times and just walking down the street and bumping into any bar and it's got live music it just doesn't matter always has live music which blows me away um so taking that and kind of having fleshed out the history of it when we look at what nashville has now and what's coming for it i know of of one which is a southern california delicacy which is soon to be headquartered out in nashville and that's uh in and out is coming your way now which is exciting you're gonna be able to get a double double Exactly. And we've got Whataburger from Texas that just arrived last year. So we're having burger wars. Um, <laughs> but, you know, Nashville in, in 2023, it's a, uh, it's a very eclectic city. You know, music obviously is, is part of the, the DNA of Nashville and that's what it's known for, for tourism and live music. Um, but along with that, I mean, the, the talent, agencies, the managers, the producers, um, every major record label in the world has a presence in Nashville. It's not just country music. It's yeah. gospel, Christian, rock, R&B, rap. I mean, you, you name it. It's got uh, a presence here. Uh, but along with that, a, a big part for Nashville over the past uh, 40 years has actually been healthcare. Healthcare and huh. insurance is, is really a big driver, primarily in Williamson County, which is the county directly south of uh of nashville um healthcare hospitals um health insurance healthcare technology SaaS companies those those are they they have a major presence and nashville is a healthcare hub in itself so as you look at the couple of companies that are there so obviously there's all the talent and uh, music licensing which kind of bends on copyright and then a little bit of trademark you've got healthcare which is a hugely regulated industry, but it seems to be congregating there. And then you've got um, your your burger wars that are starting. But <laughs> interestingly, for like In and Out, they're setting up their headquarters for the East Coast. So, and this is just I only know this because I grew up in Southern California. But 
in and out notoriously doesn't want any of its products ever to be frozen. And so to keep them from being frozen, they distribute from one hub that's in California and the farthest they've gone is Texas because that's as far as they can make it in refrigerated trucks and keep it fresh. Like that's been their cut. So as they expand in Nashville and start using that as a provisioning hub, they'll be able to get stuff all over the Eastern seaboard. And that's a different kind of pressure. But when you look at the regulatory pressures and the appeal of Nashville, what do you think it is that pulls these disparate kind of um, businesses and goes, yeah, this is Nashville's where we should be? Sure. Well, Nashville has the, the national headquarters for Nissan, for Bridgestone. Um, <clears throat> it has uh, it's, it's a hub now for Oracle and for Amazon. So it's Rebuilt. very for rebel <laughs> scott's jumping in hey, we're over here <laughs> yeah the next unicorn coming up um so it has an eclectic um uh business community in that sense but i i think there's a couple of like common sense reasons one is it's an extraordinarily business-friendly state um that anything from the state legislature to grants to um the fact that there's no state income tax you know, it, it attracts a lot of um, companies that that see that. And if you juxtapose that with your beloved California, I love SoCal, I love NorCal, I love it all. But we, I think we can agree that it's a harder business environment. hundred percent. From the compliance <laughs> and all that jazz state, yeah. you know, the, the state tax that you have and, and that kind of stuff. It's also a right to work state if you want to get into the, uh, you know, the, the difference between that and unions and stuff. I think that's more appealing to businesses, obviously. Um, and then geographically speaking, I mean, if you think about Nashville, you can get to Chicago, you can get to Atlanta, you can get to Miami, you can get to New York, Boston, Philadelphia, you can get to New Orleans, Dallas. I mean, you can get St. Louis, Kansas city. There's a bunch of cities. And I think, you know, that is one of the reasons that it's become a bachelorette hub as well the bachelorette parties is because these woo girls that come here you know if you got a girlfriend that lives in chicago did you call them, you call them woo girls yeah we call them because they say woo they run around and go woo, woo. yeah <laughs> they just are going around in these party wagons saying woo everywhere and <laughs> we just look at them like okay but um if you live in dallas or you live in miami or you live in new york or, or chicago if you think about it over time yeah. It's really exciting to be able to to go to Nashville and it's about an hour flight. Well, especially during times when in the winter it's super cold in the north and then in the summer when it's super humid on the coast. Yeah. Nashville's a bit more temperate than uh, Iowa right. is. And then you have country music and all the other fun things that we talked about. It kind of makes sense. So I think it's growing because it's, it's very business friendly. Um, it's a very welcoming city. Um, I'm from the Northeast and uh, I'm used to it being a kind of a rat race and people being a little bit more uh, closed off and, and whatever. And Nashville is like one of the most friendly cities you'll ever visit. And people remark on that all the time that they just really enjoy their time here. So let's, let's touch back on the regulatory stuff a bit. Cause then there's two questions I have. One is if the income tax is non-existent, then what's its tax basis? Is it, does it heavy down on property taxes? Is it heavier on like, where does it get its uh, money around the state then? Yeah. Uh, tourists that come really? here, they have a really high state, they have a high sales tax. It's like 9%. 
sales tax. They tax booze and and um, they have high hotel and airport taxes and stuff like that. But it's primarily off of uh, tourism and um, and their sales tax. That's fascinating because it's it's I'm in Las Vegas. Full disclosure, I grew up in San Diego, but I do like not having a, a state income tax. And we do it the same way. Ours is entirely funded by gaming and tourism. Yeah. Uh, so it's, it's you know, develop a culture for that and they will come. Sure. Um, the other piece to bump into is something that we were talking about earlier, kind of off the air, is this regulatory environment that you currently have. Is It is very business friendly. It's very no income tax. But that also is the regulatory body there is kind of weird. And you often see stuff um, in in Nashville where the city of Nashville kind of disagrees with the state of Nashville. Yeah. Sometimes. Like you've got a, I think the last election was 65% kind of Democratic votes, but the legislature still is majority Republican. Like they right. cracked Nashville into bits. So looking a little bit longer term, say in the 10 to 20 year horizon, if there is a change in the makeup of the regulatory body in the state, will that have profound fallout consequences or do they kind of know what Nashville and Tennessee is? Yeah. I mean, it's interesting because, you know, we have a federal system in in the U S where you have states that have certain rights and, and purview over things. And then you have like federal regulations and that's how the federal system is supposed to be set up. Um, but what is happening in these Sunbelt areas in Georgia, Tennessee, North Carolina, is you have these liberal enclaves where, where wealthy people are congregating in the cities and they're progressive. They have disposable income. They want a certain quality of life. They have certain values. And the the smaller towns and rural are becoming more conservative and red. And so, you know, people kind of figured, well, you, you have this dynamic where the states are going to be able to pound the table and keep certain, keep the federal government in check. Uh, but what's actually happening in the South is these cities that are generating a ton of tax revenue and where businesses want to want to go they have a tremendous amount of power, but it is definitely checked by a more conservative um, state legislature. Like, in, for example, in, in Tennessee last year, they passed a bill that the state book is the Bible. Like the official state book. Yeah, the state book. Okay. Is the I didn't know there were state books. I knew there were state birds and state flowers and stuff. I didn't realize there were state books. Well, here in Tennessee, it's the Bible. So, you well, know. which one, to be fair, is it the <laughs> King James, the new the international version? Yeah. Okay. Um, or there, you know, uh, the Civil War, obviously, there's, there's yeah. a tremendous amount of battlefields, and, and this was part of the Confederacy. And so, in the state legislature, in the state house, there were busts of Confederate generals like Nathan Bedford Forrest. Well, I mean, Forrest was the first uh, Grand Wizard of the KKK. Yeah. He was a he wasn't a really nice man, uh, you know, at least like historically speaking, when we look back, he committed some war atrocities at Fort Pillow. Um, and yet his bust is in the, the state capital. And then you have these like culture wars that go on where people want to see that removed for their reasons. And then others are, well, it's our heritage and, you know, all that kind of stuff. Um, so it I think. 
compared to compared to some other states, I, I think that Tennessee does a pretty good job of walking that line, like you see in Florida with Governor DeSantis. You know, he's going after Disney and critical race theory and stuff, and that that does happen in Tennessee to a degree. But I, but compared to like Texas and Florida and these other places, I don't think it's as prevalent. Like people here, are like you know, look, want to have a good time, want to listen to some country music, yeah. want to drink some Jack Daniels, want to <clears throat> you know have an In and Out Burger want to go enjoy the Smoky Mountains and the Mississippi River and uh, we can kind of all go along to get along. Yeah. So let's, let's get an outsider perspective. Scott, you're right across the border. Um, oh, I have another question for you guys. So I know that, that uh, Tennessee has two time zones. Does Kentucky have two time zones as well? Uh, unfortunately, yes. Yeah. It's right on the, when I drive to Nashville, yeah, it is. It's like right on the border too. So when I drive to Nashville, I gain an hour, but coming home, I lose an hour. Yeah, uh, that's it's only so a three-hour drive. Well, are you sure? Is are you is it a two and a four? Or well, yeah, exactly. Well, <laughs> it's a good, great point. That's so weird. Um, okay, so from an outsider, so right across the border, and I know that having lived in California and Nevada, I'm very aware of our our perceptions of each other, and so as somebody right across the border in Kentucky. How do you guys kind of think about Nashville and its uh, business environment and its fun environment and stuff? Yeah, I know. Um, I've spent a lot of time in Nashville, not e- even prior to rebuilt moving there. Um, the SEC hosts a lot of events there, um, the SEC tournament in basketball. They have the Music City Bowl um, for football, which Kentucky always seems to end up in that bowl for whatever reason in it. Uh, it turns, you know, Broadway into a sea of of blue and, and a sea of fans. So a lot of people from Lexington and Louisville travel to Nashville for the appeal, you know, for all the reasons Brandon mentioned. And, you know, we moved rebuilt to Nashville, although it was founded in Lexington, really because we realized that to recruit the talent that we wanted um, to sit, you know, on, on our SLT and and to really build what we're trying to build at Rebuilt we would have to open it up to people all over the country. And, you know, no one really knows about Lexington, Kentucky. It's more of a tertiary market. So, but yeah. everyone knows about Nashville. And so yeah. it's really proven to be a smart move um, to move our headquarters there and to be founded there. And it is a, it is a tech hub. Um, so that's starting to grow as well with Oracle moving there and yeah. some of the other companies that Brandon mentioned. So, to expand on that kind of the appeal of Nashville, let's talk about it for smaller investors. So if you're looking at properties in Nashville, what's the general market been like? And we'll go post 2006, seven, eight, right? So when the market kind of started recovering in 12, 13, 14, uh, from then until now, what's the Nashville single family housing market and apartment markets look like? Like, are they, are they growing? Are they shrinking? Are they kind of flat? What's that like? Brandon's bought a lot of property in that time and that um, that was before we even reconnected. So I'll let him kind of cover that. And, and so just so I'm clear, what, what time period are we? 2005, you said? Yeah. So let's, let's stay, well, let's stay away from the, the financial crash in six, seven, eight, and kind of think more 2012, 13, when it starts yeah. to recover nationally till now. So like the last, you know, 14, 15 years. Yeah. I mean, I actually got my real estate license in 2013. So uh, that's when I really began to focus. Perfect timing. Yeah, exactly. Pay attention to that stuff. But one thing I would point out is that, you know, like the modern boom for Nashville 
was really the late 90s. That's when the Nashville Predators and the Tennessee Titans came to Nashville. And and that's that's when um, they started to really, you know, sow their oats and, and to really come into their own as like a, a big boy kind of city. That's when Bridgestone just, uh, came to Nashville and um, things of that sort. That's kind of when they got onto the national radar more uh, was in the, the late 90s. And, um, you know, to be honest with you, during all that Great Recession stuff, Nashville saw healthy home value appreciation from the from, you know, basically the early 90s onward. But they didn't really see a massive boom at all from the uh, from that ramp up from about 2005 to 2008. Um, you know, homes here were very, very affordable. I actually think during that time that homes were undervalued and. Hmm when you looked at all the things we discussed about the lack of state income tax and, and all the things that, you know, the, why businesses like it here, you know, if, if you were running uh, like a statistical model in the late nineties, looking for a place to invest, I think a lot of smart people would have quickly figured out like, Oh my gosh, we should be buying everything we can. Yeah. in Nashville. I mean, you had, you had homes in Nashville and I'm talking in the city of Nashville. I'm not talking about the suburbs. Okay. But like, in the city of Nashville in 2013, and, and bear in mind, there was little to no depreciation in, in value from the Great Recession, but you had livable homes in Nashville that were selling for like sixty dollars to $100,000. Jesus. <laughs> and this is, this, is, this is not 10 years ago. This was, and these are, these are brick homes, ranch, you know, 900, 1100 square foot properties that were totally livable that you could buy for, you know, 70 to a hundred thousand dollars in some of these uh, urban core neighborhoods. And to put that into perspective, a hundred bucks in 1996 is 182 bucks today, but that's still a $182,000 house. If you could buy that today, you would in a second. Yeah, of course. And, and, and then along with that, the demographics, you know, you're seeing Nashville uh, population growth, which is really healthy. Um, two years ago, Nashville surpassed Memphis as the largest city in, in the state. And yeah, you guys are like in the top 10 or top 20 largest cities in the United States, right? Yeah, exactly. They're they're I don't know the exact number, but they're I think they're closer to 20 than or like the teens or whatever. Um, but it, it's growing. It's booming. You're seeing all the demographic shifts that are going on. And, you know, the, the, it was undervalued. I mean, you had, you had this period of time where it was, there was a market inefficiency where you could buy a home for $90,000 in 2013, 2014, and, and you could get $1,200 of rent immediately for it. Yeah. So you're, you're getting an unbelievably healthy return. And then if you get a mortgage on it, uh, you know, with, with 30 year terms, I mean, the cash on cash return from leveraging was, was fantastic. And so this was, there's a couple things that were going on. Airbnb was beginning to, to come into, into focus where they're, you know, they're beginning to, to offer the short term rentals. Right. Uh, and Nashville is attracting a lot of bachelor parties, bachelorette parties, the the party scene. I mean, when I when I moved here in 2001, when I first started coming here regularly in 2001, downtown Broadway was depressed. It's kind of like our version of the Strip in Vegas. Yeah. 
it was depressed. Like there was like really? art, articles in the Tennessee and like, you know, businesses that were going out of business and bars that couldn't pay rent. Um, and it just started to boom. And everybody who was on the ground could see it. It's like, this is an awesome city. It's so much fun to hang out. The food scene's improving. The music scene's elite. Rent is dirt cheap. Um, the cost of living is reasonable. I can get anywhere I want to get in the city in 20 minutes or less. Cool people are moving here from all over. And you could just feel like a buzz in the city at the time. But yet for a period of time, you know, property values were very, very reasonable. And that, that just like, I guess when you look at like how people consume real estate information by going on Zillow or looking online, like people had a different perspective on, on buying stuff versus, right. you know, the nineties or early aughts, like they could look at homes through 3d tours and stuff. And then you look at the economy. And so my point is that people from high cost of living areas like California and Washington state and New York, were looking at Nashville and going, my God, I mean, we, we could sell uh, our $850,000 yeah. home and buy a mansion in Nashville and pay no state income tax. And yeah, you know, oh my gosh, like the cost of living and the quality of life is, is tremendous. So, so on, on that point, has the remote work and stuff really pushed you guys during the pandemic yes. where you have yeah, a lot of the people just Nashville, and switching? Of course, Nashville became a, a uh, pandemic darling. Um, it wasn't as frothy as, um, you know, Boise or Austin or Miami or Atlanta but it was absolutely top 10 for, for market appreciation. But a lot of that, in my opinion, was, was because prices were undervalued. You know, you, I, I'm from the Northeast, so I always think about property values in New York or in Boston yeah. or D.C. Or, and, you know, or, or even on the coast, West Coast, you're like, dude, like I can get like a killer house here for $350,000. Like, and I'm talking like a 2,200 square foot new construction home. Uh, yeah. on half an acre in a cool area with great bars and restaurants right up the street for like three fifty, like that, yeah. that's a slam dunk, you know? Yeah. <clears throat> so let me ask something about the change in prices. So one of the things that we've seen happen historically is that there are these parts of um, cities or parts of countries that are, that are massively underpriced. And because they're underpriced, it gives an opportunity for people that aren't making much money to move there. And that often tends to be artists, artistic types, students, and that kind of things, which leads to this development of culture. It's something that happened in New York. It's something that happened in San Francisco and LA. And then those places become more and more commercial, more and more expensive, and they end up extinguishing the origin of the culture. So is that something that could happen to Nashville? Do you, do you think that yes. that's a danger? Yes. In fact, I think it's a reality. I think it's happening nonstop. I mean, um, the original urban pioneers that came over to East Nashville, there was a horrible tornado in 1998 that ripped through downtown Nashville and went across the river to East Nashville and destroyed a bunch of homes. And East Nashville was used to be, it's a historic area that used to be a wealthy enclave. So there's all these gorgeous Victorian homes, craftsman style homes over here. And, you know, after the tornado, a lot of cool people moved over here and started to, to purchase property and fix it up and open up cool bars and restaurants and tattoo parlors and all the stuff that you're speaking of with, with the culture. Um, and then as, you know, prices went up and rents went up, it pushed a lot of those people out. 
and they went to either other areas of the city. And then now it's, they're being pushed out of the County. They're going into the, the, you know, other counties like Sumner County or Montgomery County or Dixon County or whatever. And yeah, it's like, you know, if you're, if you're a musician, I mean, you look at like what Napster did to, uh, and, and now with Spotify and, you know, Apple music, they don't make anything from yeah. royalties at all. So if you're a, a touring musician, you can't afford to live in Nashville. One of my close friends is a, is an unbelievable and he's a very successful musician. He's, he's played, you know, all over the, the world and with some of super famous people and whatever. And I mean, he told me a few weeks ago that like he got offered to do a gig for a hundred dollars, like for the, <laughs> to play for four hours for like a hundred bucks. And then oh he had, like, he'd have to drive a few hours to get to it and play. Like you can't, you can't survive yeah. hundred dollars a night playing music. And so unfortunately what makes Nashville unique, which is music and arts and, and that, that cultural DNA um, it, it is really tough to uh, have that same um, that that specialness and that that cool factor that you have, and it's like a lot of industries, like um, like journalism or something. Like you can't you can't be a working class journalist nowadays like you used to be. It's sort of yeah. like if you come from a wealthy family that can support that lifestyle, right? And that's an option for you. And then, so that's kind of how it is with music sometimes too. Is the guy is trying to work and make money and record and be a professional musician. They, they can't make a living the same way they could 20 years ago. Okay. So I pivoted that to kind of a dark place. Let's pull it back and go to kind of, what are the, what are the positive trends for Nashville? Like we talked about a couple of them already, which is the business climate. So it's going to become more of a business city while still having the entertainment it has to maintain yeah. its tourism. But what else is going to be the positive influences on the Nashville rental and home markets for the next five, 10 years. I was, I was hoping we could talk about the demise of tower records and whatnot. As oh, a, hell yeah. We can do that. Guy. No, I'm kidding. But no, we won't, we won't talk about the music uh, scene or Spotify, but Nashville is an incredibly bright future. Um, they, they have an unbelievably bright future. This is a place that people want to be. I mean, you know, if there are people right now in every corner of the earth, anywhere from Australia to, you know, the Czech Republic to Beijing to Nova Scotia, and they dream of moving to Nashville, Tennessee. I mean, if you go to a small town in Japan and you mention Nashville, Tennessee, a lot of people know about Nashville. It's name checked in songs and it's a place that people dream of going. Like if you want to be a movie star you know, you're like, you're not like, I'm going to move to Monat, North Dakota. Like I'm going to, I'm going to have a, a, a successful, no, you move to Hollywood. If you yeah. want to be in fashion, you probably move to New York or San Francisco. And so that's Nashville. Nashville is an iconic city. If you want to be in music, people dream of, of moving here and it's got that cachet. So that alone drives a lot of uh, the interest in, in living here. And then you just look at the, the, the growth um, I will say there is one exception for music and that's if you want to be a DJ, then you end up in Miami, LA or Las Vegas. Yeah, that's right. If you want, that's true. If you want to, don't go to Nashville to DJ guys. No, that's the wrong way. You're going to, you're going to go to like Berlin or Miami. There you go. Berlin is really bad. But if you're managing that DJ, then you live in Leapers Fork, Tennessee, probably. Um, (laughs) 
you know, but <laughs> so I, I think the name, the name cachet can't be overstated. I think the uh, geography of where we are uh, matters. The fact that you can get, I mean, that was something with Lexington that was really helpful in our textbook company was Kentucky is in the sweet spot where you can kind of get anywhere in the country that you need to. Uh, so that's why UPS is in uh, Louisville. That's why FedEx is in Memphis. And, and Nashville is similar, you know, in terms of the, uh, the logistical side of anything from trucking to travel. Um, and that's what I think why a lot of these businesses that are on the West Coast like Nashville, because they can get where they want to go um, with relative ease. And then the business friendly environment, um, that's not going to change anytime soon. Um, it's a and, and the thing that's also cool from a renter perspective that I wanted to mention is like, as a landlord, I love Nashville because um, you just have an incredibly uh, strong and robust demand for rental from people that are in the service industry. I mean, if you're if you're a bartender downtown, I mean, you can make a thousand bucks a night. Um, and, you, you know, if, if you're if you're waiting tables, I mean, you can make excellent money. And that's the rent basis for the most part. Now, we yeah. tend to focus on that, that sweet middle ground spot. We don't do luxury type stuff or anything of the sort. But for the working class, you know, dyed in the wool bread and butter rentals, you've got excellent demand, not only from the uh, economy, but from the, uh, the population growth, people moving here. That's great. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited. We're, we're in Nashville. So Poplar Homes is in Nashville now. Um, and if you're in Nashville and need property management service, you can contact us. Uh, I'm going to be respectful of you guys' time. Man, I enjoyed the heck out of this conversation. Brandon, I appreciate your information. Uh, Scott, I think I'm going to let you do the plug for Rebuilt since you had fewer words in Hedgehog. Oh, no worries. Please. That's usually what happens when I hang out with Brandon. <laughs> no, uh, thanks for having us, Justin. You can you can visit us at Rebuilt.com. It's www.Rebuilt.com. If you're interested in learning more about how to source properties from Rebuilt, please visit our buy tab on there and sign up for our VIP buyers list. Yeah, there's a lot of good stuff in there for you guys to kind of follow along with properties if you're interested in investing, if you're interested in selling, if you're interested in buying. Either way, it's a useful resource. Um, from our side, if you have a property in Nashville and you need property management services, you can find us at poplar.home slash pod. That's poplar.home slash pod. Again, Thank you, everybody. Thank you, Brandon. Thank you, Scott. We really Thanks appreciate it. We We're going to come out and visit you real soon. We're going to get the hottest hot chicken we can get and listen to the loudest music we can find. I can take <laughs> you to both of those places. <laughs> Perfect. I look forward to it. Thanks, everybody. Thanks. Thanks. Bye, Justin. Bye.